many of us in this world find ourselves searching for ways to feel more alive. We move through our lives day after day, living through the same repetitive cycles and the same stressful patterns that often leave us feeling defeated, underappreciated, or unfulfilled. But what if there were a different way to perceive life? What if out there we were able to find the keys to a happy, healthy, and fulfilling reality in the lives that we're living right here, right now? For those of us who are looking for a way to transform our lives, for those of us who are looking to fully live in this moment, to change how we feel, how we perceive the world, and awaken to a better reality so we can fully live this life. This is the Live This Life Podcast. And I'm your host, Heath Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question, are you living or are you killing time? What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode. In this one, we're going to jump into Chapter 3 of The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, this one called Moving Deeply into the Now. This chapter is quite a long one, and on top of that, the amount of information that's in here is extremely powerful stuff where you definitely have to stop and reflect quite a bit. And there's quite a few spots in this where those pause marks come up. So there will be quite a few opportunities to pause the uh, the podcast or stop and reflect, but there's a lot of information in this chapter. I'm going to try and do this all in one episode without breaking it up, but it's definitely going to be a longer one with a lot of information. Before we move on to chapter three, just one of the most important points of chapter two that I wanted to just briefly touch on was how much it focuses on the ego and the pain that the ego can often cause us, especially when you try to dissolve the ego, when you try to move beyond it, when you try to sort of slay the beast and it does not want to go uh, and it, it roots us in and it drags us back in so many times um, and it will do whatever it can to survive. That's its purpose. And that's why the awakening process for us when we consciously awaken can be so hard for so many people. It's just overcoming that ego. I mean, I myself personally catch myself all the time and it's getting closer and closer to the moments, but I'm on a morning quarterback, a lot of the conversations, if not every conversation I have with people. And, you know, I've done a pretty good job of dissolving the ego, but there's so many times where um, I've had to interject some sort of experience or opinion or whatever, where it's not necessary. And those are, those are one small example of the many, many different things the ego will do to keep us rooted. It'll keep us rooted in fear. It'll keep us uh, rooted with certain identities that we've had. And that chapter two was um, very pitiful, pivotal in describing how that, that ego will do whatever it can to keep that chain around our ankle and hold us down. And one last thing before we get moving here is if you haven't had the opportunity yet to give the podcast a rating and review, um, Apple Podcasts is you know one of the biggest platforms that we're listened to, and I know it's one of the uh, the biggest platforms out there. I mean, right now I think we're on like six different podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Anchor, Castbox, uh, and Apple Podcasts, and quite a few others. But Apple Podcasts tends to still be where 60%, 60 to 70% of our listener base comes from. So um, if you are so inspired, if you could go on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and uh, you know a quick review, I'll definitely read some reviews 
on the on the air on the podcast. Um, but please, please do that. It will help us reach more people. Um, and if there's an episode that you particularly like, you'd want to share it with people, share it on social media. It will definitely help us get more of a listener base, which would be greatly, greatly appreciated. So with that, let's get it growing and get right into chapter three of The Power of Now. Moving deeply into the now, don't seek yourself in the mind. The question to start off the chapter in italics is, I feel that there is still a great deal I need to learn about the workings of my mind before I can get anywhere near full consciousness or spiritual enlightenment. No, you don't. The problems of the mind cannot be solved on the level of the mind. Once you've understood the basic dysfunction, there really isn't much else you need to learn or understand. Studying the complexities of the mind may make you a good psychologist, but doing so won't take you beyond the mind just as the study of madness isn't enough to create sanity. You have already understood the basic mechanics of the unconscious state, identification with the mind, which creates a false self, the ego, as a substitute for your true self-rooted in being. You become as a branch cut off from the vine, as Jesus put it. The ego's knees are endless, It feels vulnerable and threatened, and so lives in a state of fear and want. Once you know how the basic dysfunction operates, there's no need to explore all its countless manifestations, no need to make it into complex personal problem. The ego, of course, loves that. It is always seeking for something to attach itself to in order to uphold and strengthen its illusory sense of self, and it will readily attach itself to your problems. That is why for so many people, a large part of their sense of self is intimately connected with their problems. Once this has happened, the last thing they want is to become free of them. That would mean loss of self. There can be a great deal of unconscious ego investment in pain and suffering. So once you recognize the root of unconsciousness as identification with the mind, which of course includes the emotions, You step out of it. You become present. When you are present, you can allow the mind to be as it is without getting entangled in it. The mind in and of itself is not dysfunctional. It's a wonderful tool. Dysfunction sets in when you seek yourself in it and mistake it for who you are. It then becomes the egoic mind and it takes over your whole life. End the delusion of time. The question in in italics is, it seems almost impossible to disidentify from the mind. We are all immersed in it. How do you teach a fish to fly? Here is the key. End the delusion of time. Time and mind are inseparable. Remove time from the mind and it stops, unless you choose to use it. To be identified with your mind is to be trapped in time. The compulsion to live almost exclusively through memory and anticipation. This creates an endless preoccupation with the past and future and an unwillingness to honor and acknowledge the present moment and allow it to be. The compulsion arises because the past gives you an identity and the future holds the promise of salvation, of fulfillment in whatever form. Both are illusions. The question is, 
But without a sense of time, how would we function in this world? There would be no goals to strive toward anymore. I wouldn't even know who I am because my past makes me who I am today. I think time is something very precious and we need to learn to use it wisely rather than waste it. Time isn't precious at all because it's an illusion. What you perceive as precious is not time, but the one point that is out of time, the now, that is precious indeed. The more you're fo focused on time, past and future, the more you miss the now, the more precious, the most precious thing there is. Why is it the most precious thing? Firstly, because it is the only thing. It's all there is. The eternal present is the space within which your whole life unfolds. The one factor that remains constant. Life is now. There was never a time when your life was not now, nor will there ever be. Secondly, the now is the only point that can take you beyond the limited confines of your mind. It is your only point of access into the timeless and formless realm of being. Nothing exists outside the now. The question is, aren't past and future just as real, sometimes even more real, than the present? After all, the past determines who we are, as well as how we perceive and behave in the present. And our future goals determine which actions we take in the present. You haven't yet grasped the essence of what I'm saying because you're trying to understand it mentally. The mind cannot understand this. Only you can. Please just listen. Have you ever experienced, done, thought, or felt anything outside of the now? Do you think you ever will? Is it possible for anything to happen or be outside of the now? The answer is obvious. It is not. Nothing ever happened in the past. It happened in the now. Nothing will ever happen in the future. It will happen in the now. What you think of as the past is a memory trace stored in the mind of a former now. When you remember the past, you reactivate a memory trace, and you do so now. The future is an imagined now, a projection of the mind. When the future comes, it comes as the now. When you think about the future, you do it now. Past and future obviously have no reality of their own. Just as the moon has no light of its own, but can only reflect the light of the sun. So, our past and future, only pale reflections of the light, power, and reality of the eternal present. The reality is, quote, borrowed from the now. The essence of what I'm saying here cannot be understood by the mind. The moment you grasp it, there's a shift in consciousness from mind to being, from time to presence. Suddenly, everything feels alive radiates energy, emanates being. The key to the spiritual dimension. In life-threatening emergency situations, the shift in consciousness from time to present sometimes happens naturally. The personality 
that has a past and future momentarily recedes and it's replaced by an intense conscious presence, very still but very alert at the same time. Whatever response is needed then arises out of that state of consciousness. The reason why some people love to engage in dangerous activities such as mountain climbing, car racing, and so on, although they may not be aware of it, is that it forces them into the now. That intensively alive state that's free of time, free of problems, free of thinking, free of the burden of the personality, slipping away from the present moment even for a second may mean death. Unfortunately, they come to depend on a particular activity to be in that state, but you don't need to climb the north face of Iger. You can enter that state now. Since ancient times, spiritual masters of all traditions have pointed to the now as the key to the spiritual dimension. Despite this, it seems to have remained a secret. It is certainly not taught in churches and temples. If you go to a church, you may hear readings from gospels such as, Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the thing of itself. Or, Nobody who puts his hands to the pillow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Or you might hear the passage about the beautiful flowers that are not anxious about tomorrow but live with ease in the timeless now and are provided for abundantly by God. The depth and radical nature of these teachings are not recognized. No one seems to realize that they are meant to be lived and so bring about a profound inner transformation. The whole essence of Zen consists in walking along the razor's edge of now. To be so utterly, so completely present that no problem, no suffering, nothing that is not who you are in your essence can survive in you. In the now, in the absence of time, all your problems dissolve. Suffering needs time. It cannot survive in the now. The great Zen master Rinzai, in order to take his students' attention away from the time, would often raise his finger and slowly ask, what at this moment is lacking? A powerful question that does not require an answer on the level of the mind. It is designed to take your attention deeply into the now. A similar question in the Zen tradition is this, if not now, when? The now is also central to the teachings of Sufism, the mystical branch of Islam. Sufis have a saying, The Sufi is the son of time present. And Rumi, the great poet and teacher of Sufism, declares, Past and future veil of God from our sight. Burn up both of them with fire. Meister Eckhart, the 13th century spiritual teacher, summed it all up beautifully. Time is what keeps the light from reaching us. There is no greater obstacle to God than time. Accessing the power of the now. 
the question italics is, a moment ago when you talked about the eternal present and the unreality of past and future, I found myself looking at that tree outside the window. I had looked at it a few times before, but this time it was different. The external perception had not changed much, except the colors seemed brighter and more vibrant. But there was now an, an added dimension to it. This is hard to explain. I don't know how, but I was aware of something invisible that I felt was the essence of that tree. Its inner spirit, if you like. And somehow I was a part of that. I realize now that I hadn't truly seen the tree before. Just a flat and dead image of it. When I look at the tree now, some of that awareness is still present, but I can feel it slipping away. You see, the experience is already receding into the past. Can something like this ever be more than a fleeting glimpse? You were free of time for a moment. You moved into the now and therefore perceived the tree without the screen of the mind. The awareness of being came, became part of your perception. With the timeless dimension comes a different kind of knowing, one that does not, quote, kill the spirit that lives within, every creature and everything. A knowing that does not destroy the sacredness and mystery of life, but contains a deep love and reverence for all that is. A knowing of which the mind knows nothing. The mind cannot know the tree. It can only know facts or information about the tree. The mind cannot know you, only labels, judgments, facts, and opinions about you. Being alone knows directly. There is a place for mind and mind knowledge. It is in the practical realm of day-to-day -day living. However, when it takes over all the aspects of your life, including your relationships with other human beings and with nature, it becomes a monstrous parasite that, unchecked, may well end up killing all life on the planet and finally itself by killing its host. You've had a glimpse of how the timeless can transform your perceptions, but an experience is not enough, no matter how beautiful or profound. What is needed and what we are connected with is a permanent shift in consciousness. So break the old pattern of present moment denial and present moment resistance. Make it your practice to withdraw attention from the past and future whenever they are not needed. Step out of the time dimension as much as possible in everyday life. If you find it hard to enter the now directly, start by observing the habitual tendency of your mind to want to escape from the now. You will observe that the future is usually imagined as either better or worse than the present. If the imagined future is better, it gives you hope or pleasure or pleasurable anticipation. If it's worse, it creates anxiety, both are illusory. Though self-observation, through self-observation, more presence comes into your life automatically. The moment you realize that you're not present, you are present. Whenever you are able to observe your mind, you are no longer trapped in it. Another factor has come in, something that is not of the mind, the witnessing presence. Be present as the watcher of your mind of your thoughts and emotions as well as your reactions in various situations. Be at least as interested in your reactions as in the situation or person that causes you to react. Notice how often your attention is in the past or the future. Don't judge or analyze what you observe. Watch the thought.
Feel the emotion. Observe the reaction. Don't make a personal problem out of them. You will then feel something more powerful than any of those things that you observe. The still observing presence itself behind the content of your mind. The silent watcher. Intense presence is needed when certain situations trigger a reaction with a strong emotional charge, such as when your self-image is threatened. A challenge comes into your life that triggers fear, things quote go wrong, or an emotional complex from the past is brought up. In those instances, the tendency is for you to become quote unconscious. The reaction of your emotions takes you over. You quote become it. You act it out. You justify it make wrong, attack, defend, except that isn't you. It's the reactive pattern, the mind in its habitual survival mode. Identification with the mind gives it more energy. Observation of the mind withdraws energy from it. Identification with the mind creates more time. Observation of the mind opens up the dimension of the timeless. The energy that is withdrawn from the mind turns into presence. Once you can feel what it means to be present, it becomes much easier to simply choose to step out of the time dimension wherever time is not needed for practical purposes and move more deeply into the now. Letting go of psychological time. Learn to use time in the practical aspects of your life. Maybe call this clock time but immediately return to the present moment awareness when those practical matters have been dealt with. In this way, there will be no buildup of, quote, psychological time, which is identification with the past and continuous compulsive projection into the future. Clock time is not just making an appointment or planning a trip. It includes learning from the past so we don't repeat the same mistake over and over, setting goals and working toward them, predicting the future by means of patterns and laws, physical, mathematical, and so on, learned from the past and taking appropriate action on the basis of our predictions. But even here, within the sphere of practical living, where we cannot do without reference to past and future, the present moment remains the essential factor. Any lesson from the past becomes relevant and applied now. Any planning as well as working toward achieving a particular goal is done now. The enlightened person's main focus of attention is always the now, but they are still peripherally aware of time. In other words, they continue to use clock time but are free of psychological time. Be alert as you practice this so that you do not unwittingly transform clock time into psychological time. For example, if you made a mistake in the past and learned from it now, you're using clock time. On the other hand, if you dwell on it mentally and self-criticism, remorse or guilt come up, then you're making the mistake into me and mine. You make it a part of your sense of self, and it has become psychological time, which is always linked to a false sense of identity. Non-forgiveness necessarily implies a heavy burden of psychological time. If you set yourself a goal and work toward it, you are using clock time. You're aware of where you want to go, but you honor and give your fullest attention to the step that you're taking at this moment. 
If you then become excessively focused on the goal, perhaps you're seeking happiness, fulfillment, or a more complete sense of self in it, then now is no longer honored. It becomes reduced to a mere stepping stone to the future with no intrinsic value. Clock time then turns into psychological time. Your life's journey is no longer an adventure, just an observed need to arrive, to attain, to quote, make it. You no longer see or smell the flowers by the wayside either, nor are you aware of the beauty and the miracle of life that unfolds all around you when you're present in the now. I can see the supreme importance of the now, but I cannot quite go along with you when you say that time is a complete illusion, is the question. When I say, quote, time is illusion, my intention is not to make a philosophical statement. I'm just reminding you of a simple fact, a fact so obvious that you may find it hard to grasp and may even find it meaningless. But once you fully realized it, it can cut like a sword through all of the mind-created layers of complexity and, quote, problems. Let me say it again. The present moment is all you will ever have. There is never a time when your life is not, quote, this moment. Is this not fact? The insanity of psychological time. You will not have any doubt that psychological time is a mental disease if you look at the collective manifestations. They occur, for example, in the form of ideologies such as communism, national socialism, or any nationalism, or rigid, rigid religious belief system, which operate under the implicit assumption that the highest good lies in the future, and that therefore the end justify the means. The end is an idea, a point in the mind-projected future, when salvation in whatever form, happiness, fulfillment, equality, liberation, and so on, will be attained. Not infrequently, the means of getting there are always enslavement, torture, and murder of people in the present. For example, it is estimated that nearly 50 million people were murdered to further the cause of communism, to bring about a, quote, better world in Russia, China, and other countries. This is a chilling example of how belief in a future heaven creates a present hell. Can there be any doubt that psychological time is a serious, dangerous mental illness? How does this mind pattern operate in your life? Are you always trying to get somewhere other than where you are? Is most of your doing just a means to an end? Is fulfillment always just around the corner or confined to a short-lived pleasure such as sex, food, drink, drugs, or thrills and excitement? Are you always focused on becoming, achieving, attaining, or alternatively chasing some new thrill or pleasure? Do you believe that if you acquire more things, you will become more fulfilled, good enough, or psychologically complete? Are you waiting for a man or woman to give meaning to your life? In the normal, mind-identified, or unenlightened state of consciousness, the power and infinite creative potential that lie concealed in the now are completely obscured by psychological time. Your life then loses its vibrancy, its freshness, its sense of wonder. The old patterns of thought, emotion, behavior, reaction, and desire are acted out in endless repeat performances. A script in your mind that gives you identity of sorts, but distorts or covers up the reality of the now. The mind then creates an obsession with the future as an escape from the unsatisfactory present. <laughs> 
Negativity and suffering have their roots in time. The question in italics, but the belief that the future will be better than the present is not always an illusion. The present can be dreadful and things can get better in the future and they often do. Usually the future is a replica of the past. Superficial changes are possible, but real transformation is rare and depends on whether you can become present enough to dissolve the past by accessing the power of the now. What you perceive as future is an intrinsic part of your state of consciousness now. If your mind carries a heavy burden of past, you will experience more of the same. The past perpetuates itself through lack of presence. The quality of your consciousness at this moment is what shapes the future, which of course can only be experienced as the now. You may win $10 million, but that kind of change is no more than skin deep. You would simply continue to act out the same condition patterns in a more luxurious surrounding. Humans have learned to split the atom. Instead of killing 10 or 20 people with a wooden club, one can now kill a million just by pushing a button. Is that real change? If it is the quality of your consciousness at this moment that determines your future, then what is it that determines the quality of your consciousness? Your degree of presence. So the only place where true change can occur and where the past can be dissolved is the now. All negativity is caused by an accumulation of psychological time and denial of the present. Unease, anxiety, tension, stress, worry, all forms of fear are caused by too much future and not enough presence. Guilt, regret, resentment, grievous, sadness, bitterness, and all forms of non-forgiveness are caused by too much past and not enough presence. Most people find it difficult to believe that the state of consciousness totally that a state of consciousness totally free of all negativity is possible, and yet this is the liberated state to which all spiritual teachings point. It is the promise of salvation, not an illusory future, but right here and now. You may find it hard to recognize that time is the cause of your suffering or your problems. You believe that they are caused by specific situations in your life, and seen from a conventional viewpoint, this is true. But until you've dealt with the basic problem-making dysfunction of the mind, its attachment to the past and future and denial of the now, problems are actually interchangeable. If all your problems or perceived causes of suffering or unhappiness were miraculously removed for you today, but you had not become more present, more conscious, you would soon find out yourself with a similar set of problems or causes of suffering like a shadow that follows you wherever you go. Ultimately, there is only one problem, the time-bound mind itself. In italics, I cannot believe that I could ever reach a point where I'm completely free of my problems. You are right. You can never reach that point because you are at that point now. There is no salvation in time. You cannot be free in the future. Presence is the key to freedom. So you can only be free now. Finding the life underneath your life situation. The question italics. I don't see how I can be free now. As it happens, I'm extremely unhappy with my life at the moment. This is a fact 
And I would be deluding myself if I tried to convince myself that all was well when it definitely isn't. To me, the present moment is very unhappy. It is not liberating at all. What keeps me from going, what keeps me going is the hope or possibility of some improvement in the future. You think that your attention is in the present moment when it's actually taken up completely by time. You cannot be both unhappy and fully present in the now. What you refer to as, quote, life, your life, should be more accurately be called your, quote, life situation. It is psychological time, past and future. Certain things in the past didn't go the way you wanted them to. You're still resisting what happened in the past, and now you're resisting what is. Hope is what keeps you going, but hope keeps you focused on the future. And this continued focus perpetuates your denial of the now, and therefore your unhappiness. In italics, it is true that my present life situation is the result of things that happened in the past, but is it still my present situation? And being stuck in what is makes me unhappy. Forget about your life situation for a while and pay attention to your life. The question, what is the difference? Your life situation exists in time. Your life is now. Your life situation is mind stuff. Your life is real. Find the, quote, narrow gate that leads to life. It is called the now. Narrow your life down to this moment. Your life situation may be full of problems. Most life situations are. But find out if you have any problems at this moment. Not tomorrow or in 10 minutes, but now. Do you have a problem now? When you're full of problems, there's no room for anything new to enter, no room for a solution. So whenever you can, make some room, create some space, so that you can find the life underneath your life situation. Use your senses fully. Be where you are. Look around. Just look, don't interpret. See the light, shapes, colors, textures. Be aware of the silent presence of each thing. Be aware of the space that allows everything to be. Listen to the sounds. Don't judge them. Listen to the silence underneath the sounds. Touch something, anything. And feel and acknowledge its being. Observe the rhythm of your breath. Feel the air flowing in and out. Feel the life energy inside your body. Allow everything to be within and without. Allow the, quote, isness of all things. Move deeply into the now. You're leaving behind the deadening world of mental abstraction of time. You're getting out of the insane mind that is draining you of life energy, just as it is slowly poisoning and destroying the earth. You're awakening out of the dream of time into the present. The next section All problems are illusions of the mind. The question in italics is, I feel as if a heavy burden has been lifted, a sense of lightness. I feel clear. But my problems are still there waiting for me, aren't they? They haven't been solved. Am I not just temporarily evading them? If you found yourself in paradise, it wouldn't be long before your mind would say, yes, but... Ultimately, this is not about solving your problems. It's about realizing that there are no problems, only situations. 
to be dealt with now or to be left alone and is accepted as part of the isness of the present moment until they change or can be dealt with. Problems are mind-made and need time to survive. They cannot survive in the actuality of the now. Focus your attention on the now and tell me what problem you have at this moment. I'm not getting any answers because it's simply impossible to have a problem when your attention is fully in the now. A situation that needs to be dealt with, either dealt with or accepted, yes. Why make it into a problem? Why make anything into a problem? Isn't life challenging enough as it is? Why do you, what do you need problems for? The mind unconsciously loves problems because they give you an identity of sorts. This is normal. And it's insane. Quote, problem means that you are dwelling on a situation mentally without there being a true intention or possibility of taking action now and that you are unconsciously making it a part of your sense of self. You become so overwhelmed by your life situation that you lose your sense of life or being. Or you are carrying in your mind the insane burden of a hundred things that you will or may have to do in the future instead of focusing your attention on the one thing that you can do now. When you create a problem, you create pain. All it takes is a simple choice, a simple decision. No matter what happens, I will create no more pain for myself. I will create no more problems. Although it is a simple choice, it is also very radical. You won't make that choice unless you're truly fed up with suffering, unless you have truly had enough. And you won't be able to go through with it unless you access the power of the now. If you create no more pain for yourself, then you create no more pain for others. You also no longer contaminate the beautiful earth, your inner space, and the collective human psyche with the negativity of problem making. If you have ever been in a life or death emergency situation, you will know that it wasn't a problem. The mind didn't have time to fool around and to make it into a problem. In a true emergency, the mind stops. You become totally present in the now, and something infinitely more powerful takes over. This is why there are many reports of ordinary people suddenly becoming capable of incredibly courageous deeds. In any emergency, either you survive or you don't. Either way, it's not a problem. Some people get angry when they hear me say that problems are illusions. I am threatening to take away their sense of who they are. They have invested so much time in a false sense of self. For so many years, they have unconsciously defined their whole identity in terms of their problems or their suffering. Who, they would, be without, who would they be without it? A great deal of what people say, think, or do is actually motivated by fear which of course is always linked with having your focus on the future and being out of touch with the now. As there are no problems in the now, there is no fear either. Should a situation arise that you need to deal with now, your action will be clear and incisive if it arises out of the present moment awareness. It is also more likely to be effective. It will not be re a reaction 
coming from the past conditioning of your mind, but an intuitive response to the situation. In other instances, when the time-bound mind would have reacted, you will find it more effective to do nothing. Just stay centered in the now. The next section. A quantum leap in the evolution of consciousness. The question. I have had a glimpse of this state of freedom from mind and time that you describe, but past and future are so overwhelmingly strong that I cannot keep them out for long. The time-bound mode of consciousness is deeply embedded in the human psyche, but what we are doing here is part of a profound transformation that is taking place in the collective consciousness of the planet and beyond. The awakening of consciousness from the dream of matter, form, and separation. The ending of time. We are breaking mind patterns that have dominated human life for eons. Mind patterns that have created unimaginable suffering on a vast scale. I am not using the word evil. It is more helpful to call it unconsciousness or insanity. In italics, this breaking up of the old mode of consciousness, or rather unconsciousness, is it something that we have to do or will it happen anyway? I mean, is this change inevitable? That's a question of perspective. The doing and the happening is in fact a single process. Because you are one with the totality of consciousness, you cannot separate the two. But there is no absolute guarantee that humans will make it. The process isn't inevitable or automatic. Your cooperation is an essential part of it. However, you look at it, it is a quantum leap in the evolution of consciousness, as well as your only chance of survival as a race. The next section, the joy of being. To alert you that you have allowed yourself to be taken over by psychological time, you can use a simple criterion. Ask yourself, is there joy, ease, and lightness in what I'm doing? If there isn't, then time is covering up the present moment, and life is perceived as a burden or struggle. If there is no joy, ease, or lightness in what you're doing, it, is not, it does not necessarily mean that you need to change what you are doing. It may be sufficient to change how. How is always more important than what. See if you can give more attention to the doing than to the result that you want to achieve through it. Give your fullest attention to whatever the moment presents. This implies that you also completely accept what is, because you cannot give your full attention to something and at the same time resist it. As soon as you honor the present moment, all unhappiness and struggle dissolve, and life begins to flow with joy and ease. When you act out of present moment awareness, whatever you do becomes imbued with a sense of quality, care, and love, even the most simple actions. So do not be concerned with the fruit of your action. Just give attention to the action itself. The fruit will become of its own accord. This is a powerful spiritual practice. In the Bhagavad Gita, one of the oldest and most powerful spiritual teachings in existence, non-attachment to the fruit of your action is called Karma Yoga. It is described as the path of, quote, concentrated action. 
When the compulsive striving away from the now ceases, the joy of being flows into everything you do. The moment your attention turns to the now, you feel a presence, a stillness, a peace. You no longer depend on the future for fulfillment and satisfaction. You don't look to it for salvation. Therefore, you are not attached to the result. Neither failure nor success has the power to change your inner state of being. You have found the life underneath your life situation. In the absence of psychological time, your sense of self is derived from being, not from your personal past. Therefore, the psychological need to become anything other than who you already are is no longer there. In the world, on the level of your life situation, you may indeed become wealthy, knowledgeable, successful, free of this or that, but in the deeper dimension of being, you are complete and whole now. In italics, in that state of wholeness, would we still be able or willing to pursue external goals? Of course, but you will not have illusory expectations that anything or anybody in the future will save you or make you happy. As far as your life situation is concerned, there may be things to be attained or acquired. That's the world of form, of gain and loss. Yet on a deeper level, you are already complete. And when you realize that, there is a playful, joyous energy behind what you do. Being free of psychological time, you no longer pursue your goals with grim determination, driven by fear, anger, discontent, or the need to become someone. Nor will you remain inactive through fear of failure, which to the ego is loss of self. When your deeper sense of self is derived from being, when you are free of becoming as a psychological need, neither your happiness nor your sense of self depends on the outcome. And so there is a freedom from fear. You don't seek permanency where it cannot be found. In the word of form of gain and loss, birth and death, you don't demand that situations, conditions, places, or people should make you happy and then suffer when they don't live up to your expectations. Everything is honored, but nothing matters. Forms are born and die, yet you are aware of the eternal underneath the forms. You know that, quote, nothing real can be threatened. When this is your state of being, how can you not succeed? You have succeeded already. And that wraps up chapter three, moving deeply into the now. And I think this chapter is is by far one of my favorites in the entire book. It just keeps getting better and better as you move on through because it's just layers and layers of these concepts that build on each other. Um, but this one, this one is huge because moving into the now moment and not worrying about the future or um, regretting the past was one of the biggest hurdles for me when I went through some of my worst sections of post-traumatic stress and anxiety and depression. And it was just always the thoughts of what happened in the past and the worries about the future and how, how was I ever going to be better and how were my problems going to be solved? And I had read this book before that time came. And I came to the realization of those things without really thinking about this book. And now that I'm picking it up again years later, going through all of those things, having these concepts sort of on the back burner in the back of my mind, 
going through those things and now being on the other side and listening to them again, it's almost like I can apply how the questions that come up in the italic parts were would be questions I would ask before now. But sort of hearing hearing those questions come up now, I'm thinking of how simple the answers really are. When you when you really get it, when you get to the other side of this knowing and understanding, the the worries about the future and the regrets of the past become something that just dissolves. You end up moving into just a different level of your understanding. And I wouldn't say that I just have a euphoric, joyous happiness in life by any means. I mean, life still causes struggles for me and everything else. But I I don't have that racing heartbeat like I used to have all of the time. I don't get those pits in my stomach over certain situations. And it's not that those situations are are gone by any means. I have more obligations and stressors right now than I probably ever have had. I just don't let them dictate how I'm going to feel in my life. And it's these concepts that are talked about in this book that really um, are things that I embody that I think are the the number one reasons why I have the current state of mind that I have. And if, if so many people who have the depression and anxiety follow the recipes of these concepts, I think everybody's ailments, they would find them lessening uh, so much more than, than conventional medicine or psychologic, you know, psychology can, can actually help people with. So I want to thank everybody for um, tuning in for this episode and also being very patient with getting these out. The, the Power of Now episodes are by far the most popular things that we have on the podcast. Um, the, the amount of listens that come in for those things, uh, you can tell a lot of people are just tuning in to those or at least maybe they're listening to them multiple times, uh, which is greatly appreciated. And uh, I wish I could get more of these out. Uh, these, these chapters tend to be very, very long. So I try to get out a couple of episodes in between uh, reading these chapters. But um, we have some very exciting stuff coming up in the next few weeks. So stay tuned for that. We have some great interview episodes that are going to be firing up uh, early here in 2020. So um, please tune in for those and uh, stay tuned for the next chapter of The Power of Now, which will be chapter four, Mind Strategies for Avoiding the Now. Until then... Keep living, everybody, and thanks for listening.